progress. Okay, we're up to the bottom of Ayin Dalad Amid Beis. Just to review the last thing the Gemara said, is that the Gemara had a contradiction in Bryce's. If a man makes a neder that he doesn't want his wife to have a nedarim, to have any vows, and then she has, but she gets them nullified by a rov, she does a tarzadarim, one Brysa said that it's a good marriage because she annulled the vows. One Brysa said it's not a good marriage. So the Gemara said, what's the difference? The difference was Ramey and Rabbi Lazar. Ramey and Rabbi Lazar argue about whether a man is comfortable with his wife doing Atar Sadarim by a rabbi. Rav Meir feels, yeah, he's comfortable. Why not? So if you're Mataneda, you remove it. So the marriage is, is good. Rabbi Lazar's against it because Rabbi Lazar holds that it's that a person is makbed that his wife not to do atar sedarim because you're you're airing your dirty laundry in front of rabbanim, so he was upset by that too. So if she has a neder, it's not a good marriage either because even if she gets it nullified, she he doesn't want her to get it nullified. So either way, it's a it's a problem. So we we mentioned that brisa and the brisa talked about um, the brisa of Ramein of Lazar was whether you could remarry a woman that you divorced. So again, that's Nagaya for more for yesterday. So Agav in the Brysa, before we just conclude Ramein of Lazashita, the Brysa brought down Rabbi Yehuda. That Rabbi Yehuda said that if a woman makes a neder berabim, and that's why they're getting divorced, you can't remarry her because he feels the reason why you can't remarry a woman that made nedarim is in order to in order to instill within people the the severity of nedarim, and a public nedar cannot be nullified. So someone who makes a public nedar, that's a real bizarre because they're making a nedar, you can't nullify. So the Gemara says, my time at the bottom line, where's Rav Yudashita come from that a public nedar cannot be nullified by a Rav? Dechsev. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk desc- describes the Gevainim. The Gevainim came and pretended to be from a faraway land, but they were really Kananim. They came and they tricked Yeshua and uh, the Jewish people. And the Pasuk says that the Jewish people did not punish them because they made a vow. They vowed to protect them, thinking they were uh, from far away. So the question is, so so why can't they nullify it? Right? They made a neder, and the neder was to protect the Givonim, thinking the Givonim were from far away. And then they had to, so why not do Atar Zadarim? It must be a public neder cannot be nullified. So the Gemara says, Vikama Rabim, how many people is considered uh, a Rabim that if you make a neder in front of them, it cannot be nullified. So how many people is considered a neder berabim? So the Gemara says, Rav Nachman Yitzchak Amr Shloisha, Rav Nachman Yitzchak is three. Yomim Shnaim Rabim Shloisha, because the Pasuk says, Yomim Rabim, the Pasuk in, in Vayikra describing the Durham says, Yomim Rabim, Yom is two, Rabim is a third, so three. Rav Yitzchak Amr Asar, he says, no, ten, Eidah Ksivbahu, because regarding Nedarim it says Eidah. I'm sorry, but regarding the Givonim's neder, it says Eida. Eida is always the Lashon of ten. That's the Lashon of a minion, is Eida. Okay. Now, just to culminate and, and to conclude yesterday's discussion, we said it was a Machlekes or Meir Novelazar, whether a person feels comfortable with uh, uh, his wife going to do Atar Sindarim. So the Gemara just concludes it. Rameir Oimer Kol Nedesh Etzarech Hikir Eschachem Leyachzer Ravaleazam Relayasu Tzelchem Bnei Shein Etzarech Maikam Ethli What is the Machlekes of Rameir Novelazar? Rameir Savar Adam Raitzesh Etizbazi Ishtar Bebezin Rameir is comfortable with his wife doing Atar Sindarim Ravaleazam Savar Ein Adam Raitzesh Etizbazi Ishtar Bebezin Ravaleazam is not comfortable So the Machlekes of Rameir Novelazar is whether a person is comfortable with having his wife do Atar Sindarim Okay? You don't mind locking up? Thank you, buddy. So the Gemara says like this. That was the first answer. Again, we had a conflicting brisa about if you have a neder, 
and your wife wants to do Atar Sadarim, does that still nullify the marriage? One Brysa said yes, one Brysa said no. So we said yesterday the Machlaikas between the Brysas is a Machlaikas or Mayor of Lazar of whether a person feels comfortable having his wife do Atar Sadarim. Rabbah has a different answer. Hacha Chashuva Askinon. The answer is like this. When a woman, when you make a nether, when you, when you make a stipulation that you don't want your wife to have nedarim, there's two potential issues. One is the nether that she has, right? If she has a nether, that could be a problem. The reason why you're against her making nedarim is because some of the nedarim can really affect your marriage negatively. But secondly, in general, husbands did not want their wives to be in the process, like to be in the mode, the mindset of making nedarim. Now, Every time you go to a Rav to do Ataras and the Dharim, it removes the first problem, which is she no longer has a nether, but you still don't like the fact that she's into Nidharim. But, okay, listen, you know, it's still worth getting married. So if you make a if you if you if you have your wife makes a nether and then she goes to a Rav to do Ataras and Dharim, so we say it's a good marriage because it's worth it to be married, even though it might you might get divorced, because at the end of the day she removed the nether and, and, and why not? However, there are certain women that it's not worth it to even be married if you know this, the marriage is not going to last. And that's an Isha Chashuva. A woman from a Chashuva family, it's not worth even being married to her if you know the marriage is not going to last because when you get divorced, you can't marry the rest of her family. So most people would rather be married, rather not be married with the option of marrying family members than to marry this woman with a high likelihood of divorce and then you can't marry her family. So the Brisa that said that if the woman does Hataris and Darim, the marriage is good, that's the standard woman. I, You're not happy about the fact that she's into making Nadarim, but it's still worth it because give it a shot. Worst case scenario, you get divorced. It's not so terrible. However, in Isha Chashuva, where if worst case scenario, you get divorced, then you can't marry her family members. Such a woman, most people would rather not even be married. If they know that she's into Nadarim, they would want the whole marriage null and void. So the Brisa that says that even if you go to a Rav to do Atar Sadarim, it's not good, that's talking about Isha Chashuva. Because in Isha Chashuva, even if you go to the Rav to do Atar Sadarim, it doesn't remove the fact that she's into making Nadarim. And it makes your marriage not likely to last. I give it a shot, it's not worth it. I'd rather be able to marry her family members. So the Brisa that says that it's, it's not a good marriage under all circumstances, even if you go to a Rav, is talking about Isha Chashuva. So the Gemara has a kasha. You're telling me the Bryce is talking about an Isha Chashuva. So that would also mean that the rest of the Bryce is talking about Chashuva people. Here's the problem. The first part of the Bryce is talking about the woman making Nadarim. And again, you're interpreting it as an Isha Chashuva, a Chashuva woman who has a Chashuva family. The problem is the end of the Bryce, it talks about a man. What about a man who makes Nadarim? And she's not happy about it. Now, the end of the b'risa, though, is not talking about a chash of a man. It's talking about a regular man. So why is the first part of the b'risa talking about a chash of a woman, but the second part of the b'risa not talking about a chash of a man? Wouldn't it be consistent and just talk about chash of people? So the Gemara says, if you're telling me the b'risa is talking about an isha chashuva, where it's not worth it to be married if the marriage is not going to last, because then it's also to the family members. So Seifa, what about the end of the b'risa? Diktani, the end of the b'risa says, Avalhu shalach etzel Let's say he married her on stipulation that he doesn't have Nadarim. And he had one. And he went to a Rav to be Mater Nether for him. It's a Rav Ribe, or if he made a Nether that he doesn't have physical ailments. And he went to a doctor. Mikudashis, it works. Now, 
Lishni ain't mekdeshes v'le mahacha badam chashav askin and damar loy nichle that it's a bekriveha. If you're telling me that there's a distinction between by a woman between a chashav woman and a non-chashav woman, that a non-chashav woman if she goes to a rav it's a good marriage. If it's a chashav woman it's not a good marriage. It stands to reason the same thing with a chashav man. That a chashav man also it's not a good marriage because she doesn't want to get married and then get divorced from this guy because then she can't marry his, marry his family members. So it would make sense, the Gemara seems to reason that if a woman, there's a distinction between a chashav woman and a non-chashav woman, there would be the same distinction between a chashav man and a non-chashav man, meaning that a man, if he does hatar sadarim, the marriage is good, but a chashav man, it's not, because we assume that she wouldn't want to be married to him if there's a likelihood the marriage is not going to last because then she can't marry the family members because she's be divorcee. So why don't you say the same thing? When the Bryce, at the end of the Bryce that says that it's a good marriage, why don't you say it's not a good marriage and we're talking about a chash of a man? If the beginning of the Bryce is talking about a chash of a woman, the end of the Bryce should be talking about a chash of a man. It should be consistent. So the answer is, The answer is no. There's a distinction between a chash of a woman and a non-chash of a woman, and that is that if a man is marrying a woman who's into Nadarim, even if she does Atar Sadarim, there's a good likelihood the marriage is not going to last. So by a regular woman, it's worth a shot. A chash of a woman, it's not worth it, because if they get divorced, he's not going to marry her family members, so he'd rather not be married at all. So the Gemara says, well, wouldn't it be the same thing by a chash of a man, that she wouldn't want to be married to such a guy, because then she has no chance of marrying the family members? The answer is no. Women would rather be married. Meaning, a man, if you tell him, this marriage, 80% it's not going to last. And she's a chash of a lady, so she's got a good family. He would say, I'd rather not be married. I'd rather keep my 20%. I'd rather have an option of marrying her family members. I'd rather not be married. But she would not say the same thing. A woman would rather be married than a man. So therefore, by a man, there's a distinction between a woman that's chash of a woman that's not chash By a man, there's no distinction. By, meaning the woman would always want to be married to the man, regardless. Even if, you know, there's a good chance it's not going to last, and then it doesn't matter. She'd rather w- risk it. The Gemara says a couple other lines about the same premise, which is that women would rather be married, even if it's not a great marriage. A, a woman would say about her husband, even if he's short as an ant, at least she gets to sit amongst married women, meaning that even if he has low stature, she, he at least allows her to be married, and then now she's like in the married club, so she's happy about that. So even if it's not a good marriage, she'd still rather be married. Rav Papa Omar, Dinafsagavra, similar thing, a woman who, who combs wool, Tikrib is safe above the Tesav, meaning a woman whose husband combs wool, so he's got a very bad job, still she gets to sit uh, sit with him, so she's still married, so she's happy about that. Ravashi Omar, the Kul Sagavra, a woman whose husband has a bad yichus, at least she doesn't have to look for lentils. Meaning, at least she has she has someone to supply for her. Meaning, she'd rather be married, even if he's not uh, from a chash of a lineage. But says the Gemara, the end of ton of a kulam balin. All these women that are in this marriage, that it's not a good marriage, although they'd rather be married, they eventually all commit adultery. Like it, it's still not. Um, it doesn't end out well. It's just they would still rather be married, but it, it still ends with adultery. Okay, it's a lot of daf today. Today's got a lot of words. Kol mumin shepsulin. We said the Mishnah said all mumin. That again, the, the premise of the Mishnah was that if a man finds out that his wife has a mum, so it's a mekachtois. It's uh, the marriage was null and void because he he wouldn't have married her. What defines as a a mum a blemish? So the Mishnah said 
any blemish that disqualifies a Kayan from serving the Bismikdash would disqualify a marriage. Tano, and they added three of them that do not disqualify a Kayan, but disqualify a wife. Zaya, perspiration, if she sweats all the time, and we assume that that means smells all the time, that doesn't disqualify a Kayan, but it disqualifies a marriage. If you find that out about the person, that's grounds for Mekachtois. Second is Shuma, a mole, having a mole, M-O-L-E, and we'll describe where the mole is, how big the mole is, all that stuff. and bad breath. Bad breath doesn't disqualify a kayan, but con- a constant bad breath will disqualify a marriage. So we said that one that does not disqualify a kayan, but disqualify a marriage, is over uh, sweating. So the Gemara says, sweating doesn't passel a kayan, meaning all these guys of marriage are not a kayan. Vatana, and the Mishnah says regarding animals that cannot be brought in the base Hamikdash. As a carbon, hazakin, an old animal, hachayla, sick animal, vamizum, and a smelling animal, an animal that stinks, that just has some sort of disease that makes it smell like body odor. They all disqualify a carbon. These all these uh, mumin are a problem whether they're permanent or temporary. and they disqualify a kain as well. So here's the question: You're telling me that someone that perspires, someone that sweats a lot, is not a, a disqualification for a kain, but smelling is. Isn't smelling and sweating a lot the same? That's the Gemara's question. So sweating is not, but smelling is. Aren't they the same? So the Gemara says two answers. Amrav Yosi Barchani Lokasha, Kan Overis, Kan Inoveris. Meaning, the answer is, they are both the same. Sweating and smelling are the same. Whether I, one Brysa implies that it disqualifies the and one Brysa implies that it does not, the answer is, it depends whether it's um, permanent. If you have sweating, that's permanent, it will disqualify a kayan. If you have sweating or smelling that's not permanent, it's just chronic, so it flares up every once in a while, but it's not permanent. It's not like 365, it just comes up every while. It's chronic, so it'll just come up for a couple days and go away in a couple days. That will not disqualify a kayan, but it will disqualify a marriage. Okay. Another answer, and that is, again, we had a contradiction about whether perspiration, we said that perspiration disqualifies a marriage and not a kayan, but smelling disqualifies a kayan. So does perspiration disqualify a kayan or not? So the answer is, karamis. there's a difference between perspiration and smelling, meaning, The answer is very simple, and that is, if a kayan is able to get rid of the smell or the perspiration, he could serve in the base of All he has to do is take a shower right before he serves, and he's fine. So when the Brysa says that it disqualifies a kayan, that's talking about one that cannot be remedied. If it could be remedied, it's fine. But even if it could be remedied, it's a problem by a wife, because you can't tell her to constantly shower. That's not an option. So if, it, if, it's, a, if, if it's a smell that can only be re- rectified by a shower, that'll be okay for a kayan, but it will not be okay for a wife. Now, we said that one that disqualifies a wife and not a kayan is a mole. A mole disqualifies a marriage, but not a kayan. So the Gemara wants to know what type of mole. Meaning, basically, the Gemara wants to know if it's the type of mole that disqualifies a marriage, it usually disqualifies a kayan because it's such a shinoi, it's such a change. It's such a weird thing. But if it's the type of mold that does not disqualify a marriage, it should not disqualify a kayan either. I'm assuming it's a hidden mold? Well, no. So that's all, that's also part of the question because if it's a mold that's like on her face, then it shouldn't disqualify as a marriage. You knew it. 
That's also yeah. part of it. So where is the mole? We got to figure out the size, and we got to figure out where it is. So the Gemara says, Hi What's the case of the mole? If it has hair growing from it, so good morning, uh, morning Gemara. If it has hair growing out of the mole, then it's disqualified by both a kayan and a marriage. And if it's a mole that doesn't have hair growing out, so it's not as disgusting, then then it just depends on the size. If it's big, it should disqualify the marriage and the kayan. And if it's small, it shouldn't disqualify at all. Meaning, so basically, in other words, when is there a mole that disqualifies just a marriage and not a kayan? So the Gemara said, Titania, how do I know there's a distinction with hair and size? Shumashiesh basar, regarding serving the base of Mikdash, if a mole has hair in it, hariz a mum, that's a mum, and then he's disqualified. Ain basar, if it doesn't have a hair in it, so gedayla, if it's big, hariz a mum, it's a disqualification. Kitana, if it's small, ain bamum, and it's not a disqualification. What does it mean, big? Is a gedayla, pirish of shimmegam liel, the size of an Italian coin. Less than that, not a disqualification. Bigger than that is a disqualification. So in other words, what size mole is this that you're disqualifying a woman and not a kayan? We're talking about where it sits on the forehead, meaning um, a small, it's a small hairless mole, so it's not, it's not big enough to disqualify automatically, but it's on the forehead. So because it's on the forehead, by a kayan it's fine, but by a woman, that, that's, that's the problem. It's too, it's too, um, the placement is too drastic that it's a disqualification. Now, the, but, but he would have seen it and oh, would have said no. Perfect. So the Gemara says, Padachta, Rav and Espaisu. The Gemara says exactly your question, which is, if you tell me the mole is on her forehead, then how could you say it's a Mekach The whole premise of a Mekach is that he's like, I didn't know about it. Had I known, I wouldn't have gotten married. It's on her forehead. So the answer is, Amrav Papa by The answer is, it's right around the hairline. So it's possible that if she wore bangs, he never saw it. But, but because it's sometimes visible, it's enough that it's a disqualification. So by a kayan where looks don't matter at all, it's fine. But by a woman, that would be a disqualification. And it has to be where it's not fully visible all the time, but it could be visible depending on her hairdo. Okay. The Gemara continues. Am Rav Chizda, Hai Milsa Megav Rabbi Shemiele. Rav Chizda said, "I heard the following teaching from a great man, Umanu Rabbi Shila, and it was Rabbi Shila who said, 'Noshcha Kela Venaska Mekoymet Salakas. If a dog bit a person, bit a wife, bit a woman, and that it created a big scar, Harizamum. A scar is also grounds for a Mekachtois, depending on the size of the scar and um, the placement. That would be enough. And Am Rav Chizda, Kol Ava Beisha Harizamum. A deep voice in a woman is also enough to disqualify." Uh, especially if you're teaching in Mag and David, because your voice is sweet and your countenance is, uh, is, is beautiful, meaning having a deep voice is considered a shinoi by a woman, and it's enough to create a mekachtois. The Gemara says, Tani Rav Nasim Bira, if between the breasts of a woman there's a tefach, with in between, that's a problem. It's a it's a, a weird thing, and that's a, again a weird uh, um, image, and it's enough to make a mekach tois. I'm gonna do this gemara very quickly. So Rav of Kama Kama He at first thought when he said a tefach, he meant that it's a good thing. Tefach malyusa is a good thing. No, having a tefach in between that area is considered a blemish. The kama and how much is considered normal? Three finger lengths. Tanya, any woman whose one breast is larger than the other, 
that's already a shinoi. As a mum, it's enough to cause a marriage. A kama, how much bigger is uh, considered a shinoi? Amr of Maisha, Bari the Rav Yeshua ben Levi, Moshe the Rav Yeshua ben Levi. Tefach, a tefach larger is enough for shinoi. So the Gemara says, Miyika Gai Gavna. That's a that's a very large discrepancy. Where do we find such a thing? Is that normal? In yes, the Amr of Chana and Yiraisi, Rabbi Achas. I once saw an Arabian woman she spila the Delachira that she was able to uh, sling her breasts over her shoulder, the Hanikas Bena, and nurse her child. Let's see in Yemen. Now that we mentioned, like a Yashakar to the Gemara, now that we mentioned Ramesha, Miyasha, we're going to mention another teaching from him that's much more. Um, Mainstream teachable. So the Gemara says, "Lutzi and Yomar." The pasuk says, "This is a pasuk in Tehillim." Lutzi and Yomar, Ish veIsh Yulad Baba Yichanenu Elyon. Yushalayim says, "This man and this man was born in here in Yushalayim, and he'll establish her on uh, on high." So what does that mean? Amr Rav Meisha Beri Davishu Ben Levi Echa Noilad Ba VeEchad Ametzapel Raisa that. The, the, it's equal to someone who's born in Yerushalayim or someone who wants to be in Yerushalayim. I mean, someone who's born in Yerushalayim and someone who's born in Chutzlaretz, but he, he wants to join Eretz Yisrael, they're equal in greatness. The Gemara continues, I'm Rabaya. Rabaya, I guess, um, Abaya explains that although they're great, they're equal in greatness, someone in Chutzlaretz and Eretz Yisrael, as long as the one in Chutzlaretz wants to see Eretz Yisrael, they're equal in greatness. However, they're not equal in everything. They might be equal in like, you know, religio- in, in, in righteousness, but when it comes to Torah, Eretz Yisrael is greater. One person in Eretz Yisrael is equal to two people in Bavel in understanding Torah. Because Eretz Yisrael is machim. Eretz Yisrael helps you get smarter. But, this is interesting, but when you have one person from Bavel that moves to Eretz Yisrael, he becomes greater than them. Meaning, they're greater than us, but if we have one from us that moves there, so you got like the tenacity of Chutzla Aretz with the Chachma of Eretz Yisrael, that's the greatest combination. Because I'll prove it to you, Rav Yirmiya, who originally was in Bavel and then he moved to Eretz Yisrael, when he was in Bavel, he couldn't understand the Torah in Eretz Yisrael when he moved there originally. But when he moved there and moved in, meaning when he was in Bavel and he would hear teachings in Eretz Yisrael, he didn't understand it. He wasn't as great as them. But when he moved there, Karlin Babloy Tipshoi, he would talk about the Babylonians that they're foolish, meaning that's how wise he got. So you see that while Eretz Yisrael is greater, if you move there, that's a certain greatness that comes together. Okay, now here's the deal. We're up to the Mishnah, and the next Ahmed, it's not very complicated, we just have to focus. Here's the main premise. You have, in our previous Mishnah, you have where she has a blemish. And he says, well, I didn't know about that blemish, and it's a mekach toys. I didn't know you always had this. Had I known, I wouldn't have married you. Marriage is null and void. However, if the blemish um, sprouted or, or came up after marriage, obviously they're married, right? If after marriage an illness develops, she can't, he can't say mekach toys. No mekach toys. It's a part of marriage. You accepted me, you know, uh, for, you know, uh, sickness and in health, like that's not a thing. What happens if you have a blemish that comes up in the marriage and we don't know when it developed? Meaning, we don't know if it developed before they got married and it's a mekach tois, and he doesn't have to pay the ksuba, or if it got developed post-marriage and he has to pay the ksuba. So that's the Shiloh sometimes. You'll have, he'll claim it developed before the marriage and he doesn't have to pay. She'll claim it developed 
after they got married. And obviously there's certain blemishes where it's impossible to know. They were on the hidden part of the body and it's possible they developed later. So like a scar with a dog, it depends when she got bit. So it's hard to know. So the Mishnah says like this. So basically what happens when you have a is between the husband and wife? The husband claims that it developed before they got married. He doesn't have to pay the ksuba. She claims it got developed after the marriage. And he has to pay the ksuba. And by the way, one thing that's very important, and the Gemara will elaborate on this, they each one have like a card in their pocket. He's got, when he makes his claim, he's got hamotzi mechaver olavaraya, which means he's holding on to the cash. The burden of proof is always on the other person. But she's got on her hand chazaka. Chazaka is that a person's body is perfect and normal until you're proven otherwise, right? Every kid that's born doesn't have a mum. We assume mumim develop later. So her claim that it developed later, she's got a chazaka to back her up. His claim that it developed earlier, he's got hamotzi mechavero olavaraya to back him up. So you got chazaka against hamotzi mechavero olavaraya. So says the Mishnah, what's the halacha? So if she has a bodily defect, and it's after Kedushin before Nisun, so she's still at her father's house, and meaning, and she claims that it just developed and she's owed the Ksuba. He claims you always had it, and it's a Mekach I don't have to pay the Ksuba. So the halacha is that if it developed after Kedushin while she's still at her father's house, then the burden of proof is on her. Ha'av tzarech raya. The burden of proof is on her, and if she does not bring the burden of proof, the, the husband wins, seemingly, because you have Hamotzi Mechavero Olavaraya. However, that's only true if the, if the argument developed after Kedushin. What if the bodily defect developed or appeared after they were fully married in, the, in their home? And then the argument came up. So he claims that she always had it and he doesn't have to pay the ksuba. She claims, no, it just developed and you do have to pay the ksuba. So when it was after Kedushin at her house, the burden of proof is on her. But if it's after Nesuin in his house, the burden of proof is on him. The Gemara says, the Mishnah says, Now the Gemara is going to try to figure out exactly what, what's the difference. Why is it that when she's at her house, she, like the husband is believed, but when she's at his house, She's believed. Like, what's the fundamental difference? We'll have to figure this out. But that's the first opinion. Dibra Meir. The Chacham say, when is all of this stated? That a husband can make a claim and say, oh, that's only by mumin, by blemishes that are on the covered part of the body. Go to the next page. But if it's on the revealed part of her body, he has no claim. Why? Because he obviously saw it. Right? If she has a mole on her cheek, he can't say, oh, Mekach you saw it. The whole Shaila is only when they're on the covered part of the body. Because then we're not sure, he could be, he didn't see about it. But says the Gemara, Mishnah, if there's a bathhouse in the city, then he can't even claim anything, even by the body part, the, the blemishes that are on the hidden body parts. Why? Because he would have relatives go with her to the bathhouse. And they would like, you know, try to make sure that she was healthy. That was the common practice then, I guess. So the point is, he can't claim that he didn't know about it because he probably did, even though it was part of the hidden part of the body, because he would send you know, his uh, sister, his mother, his aunt, after her into the bathhouse. Strange times. Okay, now, here's the Gemara's kasha. Again, you have a dispute about when the mum developed. 
She claims it developed just now, after they were married, and he's owed her the ksuba. He claims, no, it was always like that. And I don't have to pay you. And again, she's got on her side chazaka. Chazaka tells you that a body is perfect until proven otherwise. He's got on his side hamotzi mechabel of araya. He's got the money. Burden of proof, not on him. So you got chazaka against hamotzi mechabel of araya. Who wins? So I would just assume that it's like he does or she does. Like it's just yes or no. But says the Mishnah, no, no, no. It depends when the argument is taking place. If it's taking place after Kedushin in her home, when she's still at home, then the burden of proof is on her. If it's taking place after the Nesuin, when she's at his house, the burden of proof is on him. The question is like, what, what's the deal with that? It doesn't make sense. If you go with Chazaka, she'll always win. If you go with Hamotzi Mechavei Levaraya, he'll always win. What do I care where they're arguing? What's the difference? Like, if you feel that Chazaka is stronger than Hamotzi Mechavei Levaraya, and Chazaka tells you that people are healthy until proven otherwise, then she'll always win. And if you believe that Matzah is stronger than a Chazaka, then he'll always win. What do I care whether they're arguing after Kedushin or after Nesuin? And the Gemara really asks this Kasha. If you remember, in the beginning of the Masechta, we had Machleikas in between Rav Yeshua and Rav Lazar. We had like six or seven Machleikas. And that was where a woman was found out not to be a Basula. And she claims that she was attacked or raped after, after she was married. So he owes her the Ksuba. And he claims, no, you, you had a premarital relations, and it's a mekachtos. And it's a similar Shiloh, because he's got the cash, but she's got the chazaka that women are basulas until proven otherwise. And we had a machlekes, Rav Yeshua and Rav Elazar, does chazaka win, or does hamotzim chavel avaraya win? Rav Yeshua feels hamotzim chavel avaraya always wins, and the burn proof is always on her. Rav Gamliel always holds that no, Rav Elazar and Rav Gamliel hold that no, the burn proof is on him, and chazaka wins. So the question is, like, our Mishnah, who does it follow? Does it follow Rav Gamliel or does it follow Rav Yeshua? If it follows Rav Yeshua, that, that Hamotzim Chavel Avraya is all that matters, then he should always win, regardless of when the dispute takes place. If you follow Rav Gamliel, that Chazaka wins, then she should always win, regardless of when the dispute takes place. So why in our Mishnah do we say that it makes a big difference about when the dispute takes place? What does it matter? So the Gemara says, Time of the Maisiya Avraya, Haloi Maisiya Avraya, Habal Mehimin. Money, Rav Yeshua, Damer Lempianuchan. The first line in the Mishnah is that when the, the when the Shiloh came up after Kedushin, we say the burden of proof is on the wife, which means that if she can't prove it, then he's winning. Why? Because Hamotzim Chavaraya is all important, and that follows Rav Yeshua. Ah, But then how come when they argue about when the dispute takes place after marriage, after Nesuin in his house, Nichlushus Abala Baltzach Laviraya, time in the Maisi Abalraya, Haloi Maisi Abalraya, Hav Mehim and Aslan Rav Gamliel Dominamenes. So how come? Meaning basically, it's binary. You either follow Rav Yeshua or you follow Rav Gamliel. Why should it make a difference about when the dispute is taking place? So. Break the Mishnah in half. The answer is these two cases in the Mishnayis are actually Machleksim, meaning they, they don't agree with each other. The first line of the Mishnah follows Rav Yeshua, the second line of the Mishnah follows Rav Gamliel. It's Taka, you can't make it coexist. It's a Machleikas. Okay. Now, before we address a second answer, the Rava just takes a tangent for once. It's, it's unclear why he's doing this now. But Rava just goes on for a tangent, and that is, we mentioned Rav Yeshua Shita. Rav Yeshua Shita is that Hamotzi Mechavero Olvaraya beaks out a Chazaka. So if you have a Chazaka saying one thing, but the, the other guy's got the cash, the one who has the cash always wins. The Gemara just wants to clarify that Rav Yeshua, it's not that Rav Yeshua doesn't believe in Chazaka, 
it's that Chazakas is not as strong as Amotzei Mechalav Araya. But don't think that he doesn't believe in Chazakas. Chazakas do exist in the lexicon of Rav Yeshua. It's just that it's not as strong as Amotzei Mechalav Araya. But in general, he does believe in Chazaka. Like, I'm not sure why you'd think now like that. But Gemara just says, Amar Rava, It's not that Rav Laza doesn't believe in the Chazaka of a body. Right? Because again, Rav Yeshua... Rabbi Yeshua is saying that, right, in that case, in the dispute of when she had relations, the Chazak of a body tells you that she's a basul until proven otherwise, which means she had relations later on. Rabbi Yeshua doesn't go with that, but it's not because he doesn't believe in Chazakas, it's just because he believes Hamasach Levariah is stronger. But in general, he does go with Chazakas. If there was no Hamasach Levariah, if there was no money, he would actually go with the Chazak of a body. I'll prove it to you. The Tanan, the Mishnah says, this is talking about Saras, a Baharis was a type of white uh, spot. The Halacha was that if the white spot had two hairs in it, it's Tameh Saras. If it doesn't have two hairs in it, it's not Tameh Saras. So this says the Mishnah, in Baharis, if the spot came first and then came the white hair, Tameh, you're Tameh. If the white hairs came first and then the spot, Tahar, you're Tahar. So if the spot developed first, Tameh, later, Tahar. Suffolk, what if you're not sure? Tame, the first opinion says, well, Suffolk, Saras is Tame. You have to be strict. Rav Yeshua says, it is Tahar. My Kea, what does he mean? Kea means faint. Kea Tahar, meaning Tahar. Meaning, Rav Yeshua says, if you're not sure when the spot developed, we assume it developed later. Why? Because there's a Chazak of the body. Chazak of the body is that the body is perfect and whole until proven otherwise. So if you're not sure when the spot developed, you always assume it's spotted later. That's an example of Chazaka, and that's Rav Yeshua. So you see that Rav Yeshua is into Chazaka, he just doesn't say it when there's Hamotzim Chavero Olavaraya. So we had one question, which is, our Mishnah makes a distinction about who's believed, the man or the woman, when, and it depends on when the question developed, meaning if the question developed about when she got the mum, if it developed, if the argument developed in her house after Kedushin, then the husband's believed. The burden of proof is on her. If it developed after Nesuin, then she's believed and the burden of proof is on him. And we said, what's the difference? So we said, it's a machlokas. Rava actually has a different answer. This Reisha kan nimtza kan haya, sefanami kan nimtza kan haya. Rava has a different answer. And he says, the entire mission is actually one opinion. And it follows Rav Gamliel. The Rav Gamliel holds that we always go with Chazaka. So, if you always go with Chazaka, Chazaka means that she's believed. So why? what's the distinction between when it developed? The answer is, there's a rule. Kan nimtza kan hayu, which means when something develops, we assume it developed in this environment. So, in the first case where she's living at home and she has a mum, and you want to know when it developed, so we assume kan nimtza kan hayu. If she's living at home, we assume it developed when she was living at home, and that's back when she was single. And therefore, the burden proof is on her. But later on in the Mishnah, when she's living after marriage in her husband's home, and then the mum came, then we assume kanim sakanaya. It developed in her husband's home, and not before. And now she is believed. So the question of whether she's believed or not, it depends, because there's a rule, kanim sakanaya, which means we assume the, the blemish developed in the environment that it's, that it was found. So if it was found in her home after Kedushin, in her childhood home, we assume it developed in her childhood, and she always had it, and therefore it's a mekach If it developed, if she found the mum, if the mum was discovered after marriage in her in her husband home with her, we assume it developed there, and therefore it developed later, and it's not a mekach Okay. One last kasha. We're saying right now that the burden of proof, if the if the mum is developed, if the mum is found, 
after Kedushin in her childhood home, the burden of proof is on her because we assume it always was in her childhood home. If it was found in her childhood home, that means that it developed when she's there, which is her whole life. Here's the kasha. Let's say you have the mum was found later on in her husband's home. So we said the burden of proof is on him. What does he have to prove? He has to prove that that mum existed before they got, got married. Right? He's claiming it's a mekachtais, which means she always had it. That means that he has to prove that she always had that blemish. Let's say he can't prove that she always had it, but he could prove that it was there after Kedushin. Meaning he can't get it back to when she was single, but he could prove, he could, he could trace it back to her childhood home after Kedushin. Sounds like it's no good, because he has to be able to trace it back to pre-Kedushin. But the question is why? Once you tell me there's a rule that if, that if I could, that if a, a mum is developed in her childhood home, we assume kanim sekanhaya, which means that if it was developed there, it was always there. So why does he have to prove that she had it when she was single? Why can't it be enough for him to prove that she had the mum in her childhood home after Kedushin? And once it's there, then it's always there. Meaning, it's like, it's like, you tell me there's a rule that you drop the ball once it hits, you know, her childhood home, then we, we trace it back always to when she was single. So then how come when his burden of proof, he has to prove that she had it when she was single? Why, why does he have to do that? Why can't he just prove that she had the blemish when she was after Kedushin in her childhood home? And that should be enough, because once you get it there, then Kanim Sakanhaya tells you that if it was there, it was always there. So why does he have to prove, why is the burden of proof that he has to prove that she had it when she was single? Why can't he just trace it back to her childhood home after Kedushin, and once he get it there, then Kanin Zakan Hayo, we assume it was always there. The question is, why does he have to, why does the burden of proof on him that he has to trace it back to having the mum when she was single, why can't he just trace it back to having the mum after Kedushin in her childhood home, and that should be enough. So the answer is Amrle, Mishin Asarisa, Mishum Dikla Memer, Chazaka in Adam Shaisa, Bekoislam Kin Bodkai, by Robin You want to know why? Because if you trace it back to after Kedushin in her childhood home, so what are you going to say? Well, if it was there, it was always there. Mekachtos. I'll tell you the opposite, Svara. Isn't there a Svara that a person doesn't get married until he checks her out? Which means that if she has a blemish, he obviously was aware of it. So you're you're like you're tracing it back to the childhood home of Kedushin. You're gonna say, well, if it's always there, then it was always there. And that means a mechachtois. Why don't you have the opposite thought, which is you're saying that he wasn't aware of it, and it's a mechachtois. Maybe he is aware of it. He was aware of it and he was cool with it. Right? Most people will not buy something until they check it out. So why don't you say that he checked it out and he was aware of that blemish and he's cool with it? And it's not a mechachtois. So the Gemara says, well, ihochi actually desires nami. <laughs> so the Gemara says, well, if you're going to go with that thought, then, then how do you ever have a mechachtois? You're going to tell me that there's this chazaka, that a person always checks out a product, and he always checks out his wife, and, and if, if there's a blemish, he was aware of it, and he's mochel, then how, how do you ever have a mechachtois? Right? Let's say he could per- prove that it existed before before Kedushin even. Then we say it's a Mechachtois. Why? Why don't we say a Chazaka that a person was aware and was cool with it? Why? El The answer is, we have another Chazaka that tells us that a person will not marry something that's blemished. So Hachanami, Chazaka Inad Mephais Back to the original question, which is, why does he have to bring the burden of proof all the way before Kedushin? Why can't he just get it to after Kedushin in a child at home? And then Kanim Tzakanhaya will take it, take it before. So you're going to say, because... 
um, chazaka, a person checks out a product before he buys it, or so he checks out his wife, and he's obviously was aware. Then, then that'll always be true. The reason why we don't say that is because we say a person is not okay with mumin. So if a person's not okay with mumin, then we don't say he was aware of it and was Michael. We assume that he wasn't aware of it. If he wasn't aware of it, then why does he have to trace it back all the way before Kedushin? He should be able to trace it back post-Kedushin. The answer is like this. If he proves, if he brings it back just to the time after Kedushin to her childhood home, the reason why it's not good is because Tarti Chazaka, we have two Chazakas against him. Right, you want to say that if he brings it to the childhood home post kedushin, that should be enough because kanim haya. The answer is there's two things working against him. Number one is chazakas aguf, which is that every body is assumed to be every human body body is is assumed to be perfect until proven otherwise. Which means that's always a chazaka that tells you that the mumin developed later. So you got number one against him. Number two, and number two, we also assume that a person looked into it, so he was probably made aware of it. So number one, so so high rav and espayasu, my omrit chazaka in the mafayas moment have a chad mokam tardu chad mokam tardu go to the next page. Meaning, if he could prove just to the time of Kedushin, post-Kedushin, in her childhood home. So you're going to say that should be enough because then it should bring us all the way back because the answer is, it's no good. Why? you got two things against him. Number one, there's a chazak of the body that movement were always developed later. So the whole kanimsa kanhoya that that if she had it now, she always had it, that's disputed by that chazaka. In addition... We also have a ruling that a person looks into his wife before they got married. So that tells us that he was probably made aware of it. Even if it's a part of the body that's hidden, he was probably made aware of it. And he's cool with it. So that's two things against his argument, that it's a mekachtos. Number one is that we assume a chazaka, things are developed later. And number two, we assume that he was probably made aware of it and he's Michael. The only thing that he has on his side is that people are not generally okay with mumin. But that's two against one. And therefore, for him to just trace it back to post kedushin is not good enough, because the two arguments stop him. But actually, decides. But if he's able to prove that it was existing before kedushin, then Then the first argument against him is gone. What was the first argument against him? The first argument against him is chazak of the body that people are perfect until proven otherwise. That tells you that it developed later. If you could prove that it developed before marriage then it developed before marriage. You can't say it, it developed later. It didn't. It developed before marriage. Mekach And The only argument that she has, if you're able to trace it back before marriage, the only argument she has is that a chazaka, that people look into the people before they get married, and he was made aware, and he was cool with it. But to that, we, we knock that down by the other argument, which is people do not want to marry people with moment. So therefore... If you could develop it back before Kedushin, all the way back to when she was single, then he's going to be believed because he's got on his side a couple things. He's got Hamotza Mechavel of Arai. He's holding on to the cash. He's got Chazaka that people are not happy with Mumin. Boom. The only thing she has on her side at that point is a Chazaka people look into their spouses and he was probably made aware. That's two against one. But if he just traces it back to post Kedushin, and then you say, well, the problem is, he's got on his side, that's it. What's against him is the two arguments, which is, the two arguments which against him are, um, 
people people are perfect until proven otherwise, which means that it developed later. And number two, the second argument, which is um, uh, people are people are not uh, people are, are are made aware of their spouse and are moichel. So he was probably made aware of the moment, and he was moichel. I'll stop here. Pick it up tomorrow. Stopped.